Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator, joined again this week with Scott McKay. Hey Scott. Howdy. How goes it? Scott McKay of Reviver and the Hayride, and of course, the uh, one of the highest contributing editors, most page views at the American Spectator. That's Scott McKay. And today we have a very special podcast because we are joined by the founder and editor-in-chief of the American Spectator, R. Emmett Terrell Jr., who I've had the pleasure of working with now for over seven years, and who has just finished his memoirs, How Do We Get Out of Here? Welcome, Bob. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. Okay, so let's start with the title of your book. Well, first off, Let's start off with why you decided to write your memoirs to begin with. What, what what was going through your mind when you decided to write these? Well, it just seemed the time had come. I'd been around for 55 years, and I thought it was a good time to start my memoirs. And I, ended, I finished them in time, too. What's that mean? Well, I'm not sure I could have written much longer uh, than I than I've, uh, had write, written. Uh, I've had a good life, but uh, I'm a little tired of it, frankly. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, uh, the the writing is so fresh and young. I think that you have um, more time on this mortal plane, so I wouldn't get too grim yet there, Bob. So the title, How Do We Get Out of Here? Um, there's a story behind that. Would you share it with the people who might be wanting to buy, buy this book? Yes. Um, how do we get out of here? I was on the stage at Indiana University in 1968, and it turned out I was the only man on the stage in 1968, except for one other fellow, the guy who gave me the titles for the book, uh, uh, Bob Kennedy. And Bobby, as they, as they called him, uh, gave me the title by, for this in this way. Uh, he was he was he was on the stage, and he apparently thought there were a lot of people on the stage behind him. I was the only one, and he turned and he after he gave this speech, he turned and he said, "How do we get out of here?" And I thought that was such a wonderful entree for me to talk about a book at some point. And fifty five years later, I came up with the title for my book. Now, you've known the Kennedy clan for quite a while, and we have another Kennedy on the national stage. What do you make of um, RFK Jr., his son? Uh, you know, Actually, I've been helpful to, to RFK Jr., uh, and I think that it's an atrocity what the White House is trying to do to him. They are, here he is, the son of an assassinated leader, and they're not going to give him uh, secret service promote uh, protection. I mean, that's astonishing to me. Yeah. And I and I I wrote about it two two weeks ago, and I expected it would be a big story. Now it's not a big story. There's a lot of these people that are against Bob Kennedy Jr. And I I'm certainly not against him. Although I'm not saying I'm going to vote for him, but I certainly am not against him. And I, I think it's a reckless thing for the uh, White House to do to ignore the fact that this man's father was and his uncle were both assassinated. 
and they he needs secret service attention soon well it's particularly egregious considering that he he's not like a a tiny candidate he's got 20 percent um at least of the uh democrat primary which is no small thing and um so yeah it's political with scott and i talked about this last week or two weeks ago how terrible it was and um the the democrat or the democrats and the powers who are running the, uh the campaign or the you know the election apparatus seem to be very intent on uh controlling every aspect of things including um this sort of thing it's just unprecedented it's terrible um, well, it's un unprecedented because never before has a, a president's a, a, a candidate's son jumped into the race after this can the candidate was assassinated mm -hmm. it's astonishing yeah well that leads us into the next question i had which is this, we seem to be in a time where um, we say the word unprecedented every day because there's one new thing that's being done that's never been done before. And I was wondering if you've, in all your years in politics and wa being watchful of the culture, have you ever seen a moment that is similar to this in your 55 years? Oh, yeah, I have seen. I've seen two moments. I haven't seen them up front and personally because I was dead. At the, I was yet to be conceived at the time of it. But I think that Valley Forge was a pretty uh, uh, inauspicious occasion. And I think the Civil War was a pretty inauspicious occasion. Thank God we had General Grant. And thank God we had uh, Abraham Lincoln. Mm. But uh, we, we've been through rough times before. We well, it's amazing though that those are the rough times you're referring to and putting the context of the current political climate. Let me let me tell you something. Several years ago, Jim Pearson, a very res respected guy around the American Spectator, he turned to me and we were in the in one of his clubs and he turned to me and he said, Bob, have you ever heard it's been through a time like this? He said, We're gonna be here and we're gonna we're just days or you're just years from a civil war mm. and i thought he was crazy well now i'm not so sure <laughs> see scott we talk about this and wonder if we're being being you it know dramatic and i hear bob say it and it makes me really really nervous because i think you're right oh, yeah. bob and um, but you have years more wisdom than we do and so no um things that we don't you know don't have recollection of Bob um, let me let me jump in real quick because uh you mentioned the and it's I think it's a it's a great issue to, to lead this off with is the, the the denial of secret service protection to RFK Jr coming on the heels of um this accusation that he's an anti-semite based on nothing he quoted a study that talked about covid um uh results um among various demographic groups and one of the things that he said was that ashkenazi jews fare generally better with covid than than uh than others and somehow this was a reason to call him an anti-semite and what i take from all this and i wanted to get your comment on it is 
do we now see that the sort of ruling elite within the Democrat Party in particular is has given up on trying to persuade people of anything, and now it's just pure intimidation. They don't like RFK Jr. running for president. They don't like him taking positions that are, you know, contrary to what they've all the lies they've agreed upon. And so he has to be crushed at all at all costs. And well, you know, deny him Secret Service protection and and see if it makes him go away. Well, they're not going to crush him. He's already got ten million dollars in the bank. He's a serious candidate. Uh, and I think uh, he's going to. I think he's got. He's got an inter. One other thing that he's pointing out in, in this race is that he he wants an end to polarization amongst the the uh, Democrats, the Republicans, and the and the independents. That's a winning combination, and I think that he's smart enough to figure out that that's his combination. Well, it's kind of what Biden promised, but didn't deliver on. You know, he Biden said he was going to change things. And anyone who knows Biden knows that was a lie straight away. You know, right away. Um, there's no way he's ever been anything but divisive. Um, so, you know, but I actually believe. Uh, well, at least you've got this very reliable son, Hunter. <laughs> right. <laughs> very reliable. Reliable, of course, reliable for what? A lot of laughs that the yeah. American spectator. Yes, he's reliably a mess. They have discovered, I don't know if you saw this or not, Bob, but they have discovered through fingerprint analysis. And so how many of the Biden family members have been fingerprinted? Hmm. Um, they've discovered who the cocaine belongs to. This great mystery may yet be solved. That happened today. The New York Post is reporting. They found out who it is. Well, who is it? Well, they haven't said. They found a... The Secret Service knows and they have the fingerprints and they have the person identified. Wow. Mm -hmm. All yeah. state the news. Yeah, right. So, um, okay, so uh, I have one last question because we're almost out of time, but this is something I'm really curious about since you've covered the Clintons for years. The Who do you think is worse? Do you think Bill... Clinton is worse or Hillary Clinton is worse? Well, I think she's worse because I think she's still in the running for, for the presidency. I think she still thinks she can win. And as long as she's out there thinking th thoughts like that, I'm frankly a little alarmed. <laughs> you and everybody. I think she has no chance, but I think she's delusional enough to think exactly that. So, um, but she hasn't jumped in yet, you know? Uh, and neither has uh, Michelle Obama. These these Democrats' wives seem to think that they have some political star power um, and can get elected. Right. All right. So, uh, where can we find your book? And um, when do, when is it coming out? And and tell everybody if you would like to, um, you know, when to it's buy out, it. Where? It's coming out September twenty sixth. And uh, you can buy it at the bookstores. You can order it right now. And frankly, I think it's a lot of fun to read. It was a lot of fun to live this life. I think you'll find it a lot of fun to read about it. Well, so I would encourage everybody now, if, if those of you who are watching, uh, the way it works in the publishing world, if you the pre-orders matter. So, you know, go out and order now on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble. How do we get out of here by R.M. Terrell Jr. And then um, 
that will help a conservative legend sell his um, memoirs. So thank you so much for joining us, Bob. We appreciate it. And best of luck with your book sales. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bob. Best of luck to you. So that was Bob Tyrrell, the founder of the American Spectator. And uh, as Sean Hannity would say, a great American, certainly in his own right. Um, and now you're stuck with Melissa and I. <laughs> uh, for the rest of the podcast. And um, I think that's like a good thing. Put it this way. It's definitely a better thing than Bidenomics is. Um, Melissa, there's a Reuters Ipsos poll out about how the public feels about the current economy after, what are we, like two months into this PR offensive where they're trying to make Bidenomics into like a good thing rather than not a good thing. And let me just give you some numbers from this survey. 49% uh, of Americans view inflation as the most important issue facing the country. 73% say the economy is worse off now than it was five years ago. 64% say the economy is worse off than it was in 2020 in the middle of COVID. Um, and 38% uh, um, say that they're worse off than in 2020, which is kind of amazing. Um, what percent think that they're worse off? 38% say they're worse off. Well, um, what's amazing to me about that is that means what? 62% think they're better off? Well, they're the same or they're better off. You know, so, That's and this is, this is like, I mean, the economy crashed in 2020 because of COVID. Like it crashed. Right. 38% of the people are like, no, 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 that was better than this. That's not good. Right, right. Like, it's really not good. Um, Biden's job approval, 40% disapproved, 55%. Among independents, he's got a 29% approval, 66% disapproval. Um, so, you know, whether this gets Biden, you know, reelected, not reelected, I can't really tell you. But the, at this point, you're basically two and a half years in, okay, more than two and a half years in to this administration. And the, the pretty much the judgment is out. People have absolutely no confidence in this president from an economic standpoint. Um, and, you know, and really you've got a stagnant economy. I think everybody pretty much understands that. I mean, mm -hmm. from time to time, you get decent job numbers that come out on a monthly thing. Of course, they're always revised downward mm -hmm. to, the, to the point that these job numbers, when they cop come out every month, are basically meaningless because yeah. something massive is going to happen to that number a month from now when they revise it. You know, and so these things are more propaganda than they are economic statistics. Um, you know, food prices are 76% higher than they were two years ago. Well, um, th this is what I want to talk about. This is a very specific issue. I'm going to, I'm going to just say it as a, a mom, I'm a single mom, uh, and I have a couple kids who are adults who are trying to save, save money, one going to college, one getting married. And the amount of money I'm spending just for food, it's astonishing. And uh, it is um, terrible. It, it's eating into for people who uh, are not at the in the higher income brackets. It is consuming every last bit of their um, income, mm -hmm. and so even if they so they're working, but they're like Fred Flintstone driving his car, you know, just pedal, you know, <laughs> pedaling along, trying to keep up with things, and that sensation 
um, yes, the unemployment is good, but it doesn't feel like anything stable in the the uh, job market either, because there's kind of this impending sense that we're in this house of cards that could fall at any moment, and people are their their credit card uh, bills are going up, their their um, their ability to buy a house, a starter home, the young people. There's this kind of uh, anxiety underneath. The, the boomers who have set enough money aside, who have retired into strong stock markets and have plenty of money, they're doing fine, but it's this kind of really lopsided, uh, um, uh, unstable f foundation for people. And then in the middle is absolutely getting crushed. Yeah. Um, in this well, situation. Plus, you've got the housing market, which is a real serious issue because, mm. you know, I, there, there's almost no such thing as a starter home anymore. Right. Like that's that that's that has slipped away and nobody seems to care about it because at this point, if you're a developer and you want to build a bunch of, you know, starter homes and, and things like that, you run into so much bureaucratic red tape trying to get a development off the ground. You know, whether it's sort of the NIMBY crowd in the suburbs or whether it's the federal government with all of the, you know, OSHA and EPA and everything else kind of regulations that gets in the way of a large housing development, water use and everything else. I mean, they have made it so that it's impossible to keep up with the demand for housing at a time when they're packing the country with illegals who don't have any money but need a place to live. Um, and you know, and so they're lining the streets of our cities. I mean, this is really distressing. Like one of the things I guess I didn't really under, I mean, I knew it was bad in Texas. Okay. We're Texas is trying to absorb this, this glut of people. Right. And it's just, it's, it's so it's a testament to the strength of the Texas economy that, and I will say this. When it's 103 to 107 out, which is what it's been here in Texas, people are not wanting to stay and live on the streets, I can assure you. And so they're right. moving on. But now you have um, all of these immigrants lining the streets all over and right. uh, these uh, northern city, you know, Chicago, um, New York. And, and you see these uh, migrants just sitting around doing nothing uh waiting for a place to live and it's like these big city um mayors are are um mad about it um but the biden people and uh, the the obama people in the biden administration you know they i i wrote about this in a newsletter to the american spectator um reader subscribers and i was just like this type of intentional thing where you're um kind of glutting the country with these needy people. And of course, the far leftists are like, burn it down. You know, they talk about the right wanting to do this, but the left is actually, in, you know, putting into place policies that will are wholly destructive, whether you're talking about, you know, killing babies after they're born, transgendering kids so they can't reproduce, importing third world country, uh, uneducated populace who, uh, can't really contribute to society, can't speak the language and are laying on the streets. Right. Um, yeah, they tell all the poor people in Appalachia, learn a code, and then they mm -hmm. bring in five to seven to 10 million people that right. are like 
even less prepared for the modern right. technological economy that they're they say they're building than the, than the Americans that are being left behind. So, exa like exactly, you know, where are we going? The answer this? is there is no like positive plan that all this fits into. The plan is to destroy everything, right? Like it's the the cloud strategy writ large, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, if you know the history of the left in America, and we didn't talk about this in the context of RFK Jr., mm -hmm. um, and maybe we should have, because the, the main disconnect between him and the Obama crowd that you rightly recognized is what's running the, the Biden administration. RFK Jr. is an old school liberal. Right. Right. He's a Daniel Patrick Moynihan, you know, right. Kennedy liberal. Okay, like he has it. Really he has some quirky environmental ideas. Yeah, but he's got it, he's got all that. But like at yeah. heart, I mean, when yeah. you listen to this guy talk, it's what you get, and the reason that a lot of conservatives have this sort of bizarre fascination with him um, mm -hmm. is that you know, like he has the same basic values as you know the rest of America has. Well, he um, loves America. You yeah. get the very distinct sense with Obama and the Biden folks that they That's hate right. America as it is what it was and want to um, replace it with this kind of uh, equity nirvana where everybody right. drives electric cars, but there's no plan to make people rich enough to be able to afford them and, right. and get rid of farming. This, this is the thing where I'm like, are these people overtly, you know, whether it be in Europe or here, just trying to starve the uh proletariat what's going and the on the answer is yes the answer is yes the proletariat should have embraced the marxist revolution in the 20th century and it didn't so now the proletariat has to be punished mm. by being made obsolete and gone away and in all these european countries the answer is you bring in migrants from north africa in the middle east mm -hmm. and you replace the population of the you know these kind of you know, beer drinking soccer fans in France and Germany. Well, like, right. we, you know, we don't have any use for these guys because the fact of the matter is, you know, like they have a job and they pay taxes and they expect things for that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't really like that. So we're going to bring in migrants that have no expectation of anything. And we're going to engage in every kind of cultural and, and political initiative that we can to essentially just make these people obsolete that they ultimately go away and so they, like they feel like they have more staying power than the dutch farmers for example right and you know let them riot well eventually we'll crack down and we'll kill some the rest of them will go away you know maybe they'll emigrate they'll go to america or you know whatever and we don't have any real use for them because we would rather the lower classes here in the netherlands be a bunch of immigrants who barely speak the language and are totally dependent on the government. We can do whatever the hell we want with them. Mm -hmm. And so long as they keep getting their checks every month, they're not going to care what we do at the governmental level. And that that's true in pretty much every European country. And it's certainly true of the people that are in charge of the, you know, Biden redux Obama administration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the thing about it is, it's like Kennedy comes along and he's a guy who says, no, like, I actually have the same uh, social and political, economic, cultural aims as the conservatives do, but I'm, you know, different from them in how to approach those aims. 
right? And that's the debate I want to have, which was the debate throughout the 20th century, right? Which has been the debate, you know, for a very, very long time, maybe even before that, which is we all love America. How can we do we make it better? best? And, and like, you know, people talking about tariffs and that sort of thing. Well, you know, Lincoln used that. that this was the tool right. to enrich America from the beginning. And so this is not something that's outside the bounds to talk about, but you have these weird fractionated constituencies now. I got an email from uh, Ben Dominich has his, you know, um, daily email, and he was talking about the um, barstool politics, you know, that kind of political worldview, which is kind of like, yeah, we like America, leave us alone, let us do the social things and cultural things that we want, you know, live and let live kind of a libertarianism, but, you know, this stuff on the left is so far crazy that, you know, so they're not, and I do you, think that there's kind of libertarianism when you're faced with woke people, you just can't have it. You can't, you can't have it. And so, so like, that's the problem that we're facing is we have a whole bunch of Americans in the middle in denial about what it's going to take to undo this because they think they're yes. thinking in the old American style that we can just live and let live. The problem is, is that what we're facing policy-wise from the left is absolutely cultural uh, side. You know, if it, it's it's a suicide of our whole society if we continue it. I, I mean, and it's the, the analogy that's like better and better the more you watch these people is you know they're the Borg from the Star Trek yeah. um, deal. I mean, it's a it's a complete collectivist deal. There, there's no. You know, look at RFK Jr. sort of a dissenting voice on the left, and he has to be snuffed out at all, right. uh, at all costs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody, you must be, you're going to be assimilated. Resistance is futile. We'll cancel you. Like, we're not going to have this debate. The debate is over, whether it's right. on climate or the trans piece or critical race theory. Anybody who's, you know, who, who has questions or is a dissenter of any kind has to be crushed, Right. There's no mm -hmm. argument. We're not going to persuade you. We're just going to intimidate, right? And right. So he doesn't get Secret Service protection. And he gets called an anti-Semite. And it's like, you can't even make the argument for what he said as anti-Semitic. Because the entire point of what, what RFK was saying, when we talk about, look, I mean, you know, Chinese and Ashkenazi Jews were the, the, the um, you know, ethnic uh groups that fared best under covid mm -hmm. and other you know white european people and like african americans um and even people in africa like fared worse right mm -hmm. and he said this is you know this information is sort of the makings of a, a biological weapon right either current or future because if you know that genetic markers will play into what a virus will do to a population then you can you can engineer a virus to mm -hmm. to go after people of a certain eth ethnicity, and that's a real problem. Yeah. And from that, he's an anti-Semite. It's like, like, wait, there's no merit to that charge at all. And he was like taken aback by it because he couldn't understand where they were coming from. Well, but I the answer was it didn't matter. Right. 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 We're going to use right. whatever we can. Nobody's really going to pay attention to what we're actually right. saying because it's the accusation that's important, not the proof. Like right. they've established that a long time ago. So when you send Debbie Wasserman Schultz to a mm -hmm. congressional hearing on censorship and she's right. going to say you should be censored because you're anti-Semitic and I'm Jewish and I should know. 
Right. And he's like, what the hell just happened to me? Right. Right. And the answer is, well, what did you think just happened to you? This is what your party is now. Right. You know, I mean, like I feel for him because he's kind of a man without a home. And so is like Kirsten Cinema, and so is Joe Manchin and some of these other ones. But hey, you lost those institutions. They were yours to run and you let these people come along and you yeah. embraced them. And you said, well, here's a whole block of votes that we can get. Right. These these fringy socialists that like don't even vote because they think neither political party has anything to say to them. And the answer is. Yeah, and they shouldn't have anything to say to you because you're not actually an American from a political standpoint. Like America doesn't believe what you believe. And the Democrats were like, well, we'll believe in some of it if we'll get their votes. And guess what? You invited these people in and they took over the party. And now you, whether you're Manchin or RFK Jr. or you know the old Joe Liebermans of the world and people like that, you either assimilate which is why you've seen all of these old liberals, Joe Biden being an example, are now hardcore leftists. Um, or, you know, you get put out to pasture and you're irrelevant because this is who runs the show now in that party. Speaking um, of the, uh, wait a minute, speaking of, I got to stop you because you mentioned something in passing that needs some uh, closer examination. And that is in Michigan, they found a whole illegal voting apparatus, thousands and thousands and thousands of fake yeah. votes. Yeah. And I knew that this was the problem and, and that the this sort of machine that they have running there, the current governor would never have gotten elected if this apparatus hadn't existed. And it yeah. extended into other states as well. Yeah. And so like this, this whole and no one's talking about it like it's like no you're not allowed to talk about not that. allowed to talk about it and i'm like between arizona and carrie lake isn't giving up um you know your feelings about her one way or the other here's here's been my position about this by the way i think that the american people deserve to know if their elections are free and fair and the fact that the democrats have continued to stymie this the the Nancy Pelosi's committee, did you see this? Trump is appealing a, a case because they destroyed all the evidence that they had gathered for the January 6th committee. Yeah. Why? And they're, they're just- You know why. Well, I know why, but you know what I'm saying. Like, so we're having to believe this BS right. to keep supposedly the worst president in the world when all I care about is the structure and the constitution. And what that the American people deserve to have faith in the elections. And I, for one, don't. And so I want every single state to examine this. I want it cleaned up. I want the, you know, here in Texas, Paxton be allowed to do his damn job. And, you know, places like Houston where they have an operation and it's been, it's being, you know, investigated and bro broken down. This has to stop. You know, they, the left talks about being disenfranchised and we have thousands and thousands of voters whose vote doesn't count because it disagrees with the Democrats want overall for the country. And so when we saw, like I went back and looked at video of Biden and no one was at his inauguration. And it wasn't because of the weather and it wasn't because of anything. It's beca because of COVID. That's all BS. It's because he would never have gotten the votes. He didn't get the votes. And we have this illegal system that people that has to be cleared up. 
And even now, you know, no one wants to see him. When he went up after the riots up in Wisconsin and the Rittenhouse BS, no one, no one, and that's a Democrat area, no one came to see him. Yeah. No one likes him. This Nobody is showed up at his rallies during the campaign. Well, nobody shows up them? in any of his. Nobody shows up in any of his his uh, you know speeches that he gives unless right. it's some you know union gaggle where everybody kind of has to be there. Right. Right. I mean, I, the guy has he has zero popular support at all, and the only argument that his people make is how much they hate Trump. That's it. Right. And and all of the, the sort of regime media organs that that right. support Biden, all they all they do. And somebody I thought it was Newsbusters or, or uh, MRC or whatever had done a study of, you know, the, the alphabet network uh, coverage. And like Trump gets three times the media coverage that Biden gets. Right. Right. Even and it's now. because they can't cover anything right. that Biden does positively. There's no there's yeah. no positives, right? Like they spent two months trying to sell Bidenomics to the American people. And I just read you the numbers, right? right. Nobody believes any of their bullshit. Like well, nobody we can't. How can we believe it when I go to the grocery store and I am paying right. twice what I paid in 2020 for food? And you know, the only reason gas is below three dollars is because the Biden administration realized that's the threshold for paying for you know real serious pain for the president and so like they're emptying our strategic pro petroleum reserve just it's, continuously it's never been, like since it was built it's never been as empty as it is now so in order so the american people at least are deluded in that way about you know how much more would groceries and everything else cost if gas was even higher so like it's just it's horrible and everybody feels lied to. I, I was like, how bad is everything for Joe Biden? Forget, you know, his crappy kid, Hunter. Everything is bad enough that they, you know, had to, they trotted out an alien story, which everybody's like, ah, you know, couldn't roll their eyes hard enough. It didn't even play. I had to laugh. I was like, you know, an alien story doesn't work because people are so distrustful of this administration and our institutions. Oh. All our lives, we've thought from the beginning, like if they ever had proof that there were aliens, right. it would change everything, right? Right. And I'm, gonna, I'm like, you know, like I said, I've always been a skeptic about all this stuff. Right. Okay? Um, in fact, I mean, you know, I'm not denying that people see things in the sky, but I'm like, well, people saw things in the sky in Medjugorje and Fatima, and they had an explanation that's totally different than now. And why is right. that explanation bad? And this one, you right. know, is, anyway. Um, so I'm like the skeptic of it, but like this guy shows up and says, no, 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 we have all this. And it, like, you know, it's all classified. So I can't give you the, the honest to God details or whatever, um, which is the largest sort of confirmation of this that we've ever had. You're right. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I, you know, you remember in the eighties when they had like the national choir and it'd be like, you know, alien, you know, woman births alien, you know, like there was a constant stories and, and uh, somebody was reminding me of some uh, TV show that uh, was a Saturday morning show that I guess I never watched about aliens for kids, like a cartoon show. So it was constant, it was constantly in the consciousness, you know, going, yeah. and now it's finally here and everybody's going, 
I smell BS. <laughs> you know, like this well, is yeah, I mean, well, you know, no, like, well, this is the thing. If you lie about economics, mm -hmm. okay, it, it's it's probably the worst lie you can tell in politics because yeah, that's something people people know the truth about economics. Right. Right. If if they're not in the job market, they know somebody who is, or the kid is in it, or whatever. And they so they would you could tell them all about the job market, and they're mm -hmm. like, mm, that's either my experience or it's not. And mm -hmm. if it's not, and you're telling me, no, 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 everything is great, then what you're telling me is the problem is me. Right. Mm, you know, I'm going to look at that as really skeptical. If you tell me that food prices are no big deal, but they are a big deal for me, and right. I remember a time not that long ago when they weren't a big deal. Right. Right. You know, yeah. like you have all of these different um, things that, that when, you know, people have like they don't need to read in a newspaper what the economy is doing because they can tell it in their own lives. Right? right. Prices are a great piece of information to, to you know, tell you how well things are functioning. When you order a, you know, refrigerator mm -hmm. and you have to wait four months for it to show up because the supply chain is broken. Right. right. You can't just say, no, 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 everything's fine. They're like, no, I've never waited four months for a refrigerator, right? It's not a specialty item. It's a, a, a household appliance. You used to be able to go to the store, pick out which one you want, right? Nope, not right. anymore. When you, go, when you go for fast food for your family and you get three, three meals uh, at McDonald's and it's $32 and, you know. Well, yeah, I mean people feel it like there's no there there's no um escaping the economic pressure that people are feeling unless i guess the you know things can double and it's no big deal for you so you have an elite class in in dc who wants to give away money to highly educated people who have jobs who can't pay off their student loans on the one hand they have that but they don't want to give any relief to the masses who are trying to buy a car and trying to buy food for their family. And then they want to restrict vehicles to electric vehicles, which are still government subsidized. Nobody can afford. Right. And housing market is crazy. And everybody is saying, you know, we're just supposed to pretend that this isn't happening. And, and people are like, what the heck? You know, I'm seeing it and I'm feeling it. But the well, question is, who does the Biden administration have empathy for? And it is not for people. Everything, I mean, from taking away gas stoves, from taking, you know, just disruptive and getting into your business constantly. They talk about, you know, the, the right wanting to, you know, control social issues. And I'm like, dude, you want to control how I cook my food. Mind your business. You know, well, and, that, and that really is, you know, and, well, there's a couple of things. And, and of course, and I think you've heard me say this is, you know, the number one thing that characterizes the left in America is magical thinking. Right. Which is this this idea that, well, you know, there is no kind of set order of things. There's no mm -hmm. objective reality. But like we can will whatever we want into being. We're basically right. God. Right. Like if I if right. I'm a man and I say I'm a woman, well, then I'm a woman. Right. Yeah. By fiat, just right. I am. like I've and, and but this pervades pretty much everything, right? Like we don't right. need gas powered cars anymore. We'll go to EVs. All right. Well, how are you gonna power those? Well right. the power grid's gonna power. Well, how are you gonna power the power grid? You're getting rid of coal, you, you don't want right. you don't want natural gas, you won't even do nuclear energy, which 
might make Please. some sense if you're going to no, 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 we don't want any of that, you know, because Chernobyl. And it's like, okay, I mean, this is like, whatever. Um, but so it's all magical thinking and it's all, um, it's all reactive because the things they do don't work. And so then they have to do different things to compensate for the things that don't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, you do the whole climate thing, but you don't have the, the stones to actually go after China. Right. Who six times, uses six times more coal than the United States does. Okay. Right. Six times. All right. Okay. We're buying everything from China because we've shut American manufacturing down in the name of the climate. And the right. Chinese are the dirtiest country on earth. So like none of this stuff that they, that these guys are pushing is even remotely efficacious to what they say they want to do. And of course, what, what we know is that climate is a vehicle for everything else. And that's more and more obvious, even to people that aren't on the right. So now it's got, you got to ramp it up even more to try to defend what you've already done. And that's how you have John Kerry showing up, trying to, trying to do to American agriculture what the Dutch have done to, uh, right. to Dutch agriculture. And I mean, you know, and you said, like, okay, what, like, what's the end game here? Because you're not going to get what you think you're going to get, right? I mean, right. this is how you get the French Revolution. Right. Like, this is how you get that, because at some point, it snaps. And we right. haven't, like I keep saying, we haven't suffered enough, but they keep pushing. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we will have suffered enough. And what happens then? Right. Well, the thing because is, at that point, it's not even that they lose an election. It's something else. Well, speaking of suffering, so the suffering is part of this. It's and it's imposed suffering. It's unnecessary suffering. So like, That's right. so like the um, and it's not just in the economic sphere. It's in the no, social and cultural it's sphere. It's everywhere. Absolutely. So like, so uh, I don't know if you remember the whole um, discussion about why are American young people depressed and um uh the the kind of this new victimhood and so like uh there was an article written by Jonathan Haidt he's written a book and then added his substack right and i i don't know if we talked about this but Jill Filipovich was uh who's this big lefty uh feminist who i've you know been at loggerheads for over you know years writing back and forth you know between these dumb feminists and then you know whatever and i wrote a response to hate and said all of the things that you're talking about that make people just depressed like externalization no locus of control making people feel like i'm like so all of this climate change stuff which is utter bs by the way it's not even a real thing but right. because of that You've got children who are going, the world is going to end. There's nothing I can do about it. Sure, I'm drinking out of a, a paper straw that doesn't work, but that's not really making a difference. And and then there's this uh, cultural thing where you're a white kid and because you're white, you're inherently evil and you're a boy or whatever. And so you're a girl, you're helpless to the patriarchy. There's nothing that you can do if you're black or you're Asian, you, I'm sorry, you're just going to be discriminated against. So they have Non-stop all of these demoralization the entire in, in every facet of your life that, that they can touch. Well, but the thing is, is so then they wonder, well, why are kids depressed? And then the solution, of course, the behavior solution is doing what you can do, focusing on whatever. And I'm like, Christianity is based on this. 
we know that ultimately God is the judge. In the abstract, in the individual, if somebody needs to be fed, it's our job to feed that person. If someone needs clothes, we, you know, to be clothed, we put clothing on that person. It gives you a locus of control. It helps you make a difference in the world in a concrete, tangible way. You go to church to think about higher thoughts, not just about you. You're, you're realizing that this earth is not just under our individual control. Um, so it's not all our fault if everything, you know, if the Chinese are doing what the Chinese do, we can do what we can do. And then you also are part of a community where you praise and worship or, and you talk to people who care about you. And if your life goes crappy, like mine did, you know, when my son had uh, two bone marrow transplants because of his health care issues, who helps you? Well, your community, your faith-based community does, the people who love you, and then they bring you meals, and they, they help you give gas money, and your life is not so tough because you have people around you. And what are they telling these kids on the left and people generally? Don't go to church. That's evil. Don't, you know, this world is a big, bad place. Um, you have no control over anything. We're all doomed. Um, and be, just be who you are. Well, that's not the prescription for happiness. So these kids take these hormones, try to be something that they're not, and they kill themselves. And the suicide rate has gone up. And it's your fault for giving this, putting this ideology on them. And these kids are young and they have no life experience. It's hard enough for adults, Scott. It's sure. hard enough for the average American to put up with the BS this administration and leftists generally are, are you know, foisting on, a, on the world. It's depressing, utterly helpless inducing, and it's all bullshit. Pardon my French. And so yeah, you, no, but- your, your kid having to deal with this. And Joe Filipovich Pil- now has an article. And let me just read the, and then you can say, I was wrong about trigger warnings, how the national obsession with trauma has the national obsession with trauma done real damage to teen girls by Jill Pil- Filipovich. That's today. Really, Jill? Has it? I'm real, I, I can't tell you how impressed I am by that. So, um, couple, I don't know, I can't remember how long ago this was, Politico, uh, had this thing, you know, they, they were analyzing, I guess it was the 2022 elections. Mm. Um, married men are R plus 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. Married women are R plus 14. Wow. that's amazing. Unmarried men are R plus seven. Mm-hmm. Unmarried women are D plus 37. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So who is who, like, who are the, of the four groups who are the most susceptible to all of this stuff? Yeah. Right. Like, who are the pe- who are the pe- people that consume um, left wing media more than anybody else? Who are the people who are uh, consume left wing culture more than anybody else? It's unmarried women. Okay. Um, the Democrat Party does nothing but pander to unmarried women. Mm-hmm. They're far and away the most depressed angry, unhinged people that we have in society. Far away. Over 50% of those women are on antidepressants. Correct. Okay. And they're D plus 37. Now, you've heard me say this until I'm blue in the face, right? Talking about weaponized governmental failure. Yeah. Right. This is a corollary to that. Okay. Make people miserable. They'll be dependent on the government. Right. 
right? And that is the group that they've been able to latch on to. It's like, you know what? If we're we're gonna we're gonna exert cultural influences on you that make you unattractive to other people. Okay. Right. You can't get married, right? Mm -hmm. We're yeah. gonna we're we're gonna throw third wave feminism at you. We're gonna give you um the personal fragility that critical theory imposes on people. Right. You're right. a victim. We're going to bring in intersectionality. We're going to induce you to, to involve yourself in behaviors that are um, counterproductive to success and happiness. Right. Yeah. We're going to we're going to elevate abortion into the highest calling in American politics. Right. How important it is that you go have sex with some guy who doesn't love you and right. impregnates you. And then you're going to kill that kid. Right. Right. Because you don't want to ruin your life. It's much better to have a house full of cats than it is to have kids, even if there's no husband there. Right. Like, oh, okay. And so now I'm 45 and my life is like really empty. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to vote Democrat. That's right. what you're going to do. Because those are the people that are going to pander to you. They made you this way. You listen to them and you look like you. I mean, remember when Obama ran for re-election in 12? Mm -hmm. And his entire thing was the life of Julia. Okay. And it was all about an unmarried woman and all of the things that Barack Obama could do to make her life livable. When right. all of the normal things that people do to make their life livable, livable don't involve the government, right? right. And this was a, a totally, so, like a Soviet style replacement for the American way of life that they offered. And these women ate it up. They were the reason that Obama uh, won re-election over Mitt Romney, right? And 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 it's only gotten uh, mm -hmm. the the spread has only gotten bigger since then. So my point is this: um, you can do two things with this. You can look at what the left has done and what the results are, and you could say these are the most un incompetent people the world has ever known. And if that's true, then you say, well, okay, but why do they keep? winning as many elections as they do, number one. And why are there entire swaths of the country where a Republican might as well not even run? Mm -hmm. And at this point, an old school liberal might as well not even run. Well, right? right. Look what's happening to, you know, RFP Jr. Exactly. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, so if, but if there are these blithering incompetents that can't get anything done, how are they that successful? Then the other side of this, as you look at it and you say, are they really as evil as all that, that they would actually actively ruin ruin people's lives to force them to vote Democrat? And the answer is, yes. well, that's all they've done. That's all they've ever done. Like, yes. why would you not you know, agree with this? And I had a, a great conversation with somebody yesterday, um, and we were talking about this, this very issue. And at issue was something that I wrote Monday uh, at the American Spectator. Uh, about this ad that the Democrats ran in Ohio. And it ultimately ended up being successful because there was a proposition on the ballot yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday. So what I'm talking about Tuesday, uh, Tuesday the 8th. Um, there was a, a ballot initiative in Ohio. They wanted to make uh, constitutional amendments voted on by the public. Uh, they wanted to make the threshold 60% instead of 50%. Uh, to pass a constitutional amendment. And there's a context behind this because in November is a proposition on the ballot to enshrine abortion on demand and birth control as constitutional rights in Ohio, okay? Mm -hmm. And so the Republicans who couldn't stop that from going to, uh, to the ballot in November 
brought this, this piece out and said, well, let's try to make it 60%. Um, there's nothing wrong with making it a 60% threshold to pass a constitutional amendment in a, in a, at a statewide level, because you know my state, I'm in your state, all, everywhere in the country, they hammer you with these freaking constitutional amendments mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And most of the time they're, you know, they're like low turnout elections. So the right. amendment is like some special interest set aside right, right. thing that right. doesn't belong in a constitution. But if they can get it on the ballot, then they mobilize their people who are the only ones that show up. And then, you know, they end up passing these things, most of which are not particularly good policy. But even when they are, it's it's a statute. It's not a constitutional amendment, but it goes on the books anyway. So a 60% margin is actually pretty reasonable because mm-hmm. what it means is, hey, you know, you're going to rig this election so that it's a low turnout deal and your people are the only ones that are going to show up and there's Soros money funding the, mm-hmm. you know, the get out the vote effort. But you, know, like, you ought to at least have a 60% threshold to be able to do it because if the public recognizes how bad this is, they ought to have some ability to stop it which is the abortion thing in Ohio, except that it's kind of an elevated deal. Well, anyway, it gets beat. And one of the uh, reasons it gets beat is because the left runs this commercial and it's some sort of progress action fund or some pack like this that runs this ad. And it's this guy and this girl in bed getting it on, right? She's not naked, but she's got like brown panties and it's, it's pretty pornographic. And, you know, she says, okay, do you have a condom? He says, yeah. And he reaches into the nightstand to to get a condom and some other hand reaches in and takes it out and they look and it's this old white guy. He says, I'm your Republican congressman. You can't have that. Oh, I think I've seen part of it. And it's such a shitty ad. I mean, it's like so bad, but the whole thing, the the message is, is, you know, that Republicans are trying to stop people from having access to birth control. There is not a single Republican politician in America who is trying to stop access to birth control. Not one. And maybe 50 years ago, somebody tried to do it. And back then it was probably Democrats as much as Republicans at that point. Right. Nobody is doing that now. Nobody. We're trying to stop abortion on demand, which is, you know, the chief sacrament of the left in America. But birth control is like, nobody cares about that. And so they bundled birth control with abortion on demand in Ohio, which is dishonest as can be. Then they throw this ad out there on a simple deal that says, hey, you should have, you know, 60% to do these bullshit amendments three times a year when they come up. And, I, you know, of course they win. Um, and so the left is celebrating like this is the best political ad in America. And it's like, great. So we're going to have more of this. So I'm having this conversation and there's this like on message is one of these DC Republican uh, political uh, firms that like I could recite all of the candidates that on message has it's wrapped over the years. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not all that impressive a list. It's like all the people that should have won and didn't. And they put out this newsletter about this thing, telling Republicans, you know, this is how you need to respond to this kind of stuff. And it's all, you know, speak in soft tones. Don't accuse the other side. Don't say Mm -hmm. that they're evil. And I'm sitting there going, that's totally the wrong advice. Yes. Acting like these, these monsters, these liars on the other side that are, that will are not stopping in screwing with our lives and we keep acting like what they're doing is somehow 
not beyond the pale. That right. oh, it's just people we disagree with. We don't hate them. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you have to match fire with fire on these people. Right. right. When that when they when they come out with that ad and like immediately you go after them on pedophilia. Immediately you go after yeah. them on all the worst things that the left is doing. OK, you know, and he's like, OK, these are all of the awful things that you're responsible for. And yes, I will blame you for them, because if you don't do that, then what you've done is you've accepted their premise. Right. You're right. right. I am a bad guy, but I'm not that bad. So let me explain to you. And right. Like, right. Got, let him. Me Got him. You know, we win. And then let me tell you, indulgent acting like he's oh, but I salvaged. Right. The no, you lost. Right. Right. And, right, you know, and, it's, and it's just it's we exhausting. Don't have enough people that understand it. Like we just don't mean. And over and over and over again, you talk to somebody who's in politics, and they get this bad advice, and they think it's right. And the reason they think it's right is because they do a town hall somewhere, and the left wing nuts show up, and they're absolutely like these adamant, unhinged screamy people right. and they're like oh my god that's what everybody is like and i gotta i gotta walk on eggshells here because i don't you know i i, I don't want to i don't want to get james hodgkinson right right and you know and it's like look you don't understand you can't placate these people no all you can do is lose to them if you if you know unless you want to fight right well the thing is put that a plug, real quick i will put a plug in here for desantis um which you know whatever everybody's i will counter about. your plug in a minute but okay well and, and it's and it's not some sort of general endorsement but yeah uh, i think it was over the weekend i think it was the t the public tv station in manchester in new hampshire does this town hall with desantis and it's you know it's an hour long or whatever and they it's a you know they have an audience and they brought out you know all these people and they were questions from the audience the audience is made up of people who watch PBS. Okay. Like oh, it's right. like yeah. these mm -hmm. old freaking kind of I saw this. Yeah. fatty haired, mm -hmm. you know, hippie type people. Right. And, and, you know, one lady, I have relatives who live in South Florida and they've just had vicious anti-Semitic attacks by your supporters or whatever. And it, it, like, these are all the, the usual things that the left will do right. to a Republican. Right. Like, you know, you're responsible for all these. It was a climate change question or whatever. And DeSantis talked over these people. Like, yeah. he didn't even bother trying to co 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 uh, connect with that crowd. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, good for you. Because mm -hmm. these people are a trap. Like, if you right. try to, like, make this lady who is mm -hmm. a Joe Biden voter uh, feel better about you, all you're going to do is piss off your own voters. And so when the, the woman who accused him, him and his supporters of being anti-Semites, you know, he said, all right, those are not my supporters, because if they were my if they were, you know, if they actually thought they don't know what I'm about. And here are 11 things that I've done that mm -hmm. should make Jewish people happy. And oh, by the way, we've got more Jewish immigration to Florida than any other state in the country. It's not right. close. If everybody thought I was an anti-Semite, I don't think that'd be true. And then, you know, the climate thing, he says, dude, I'm the guy that saved the Everglades in Florida. I don't know what, like, what is this? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the environment. I don't know what this climate stuff is crap. And of course, the guy was all pissed off that he said that. And I'm like, good for you, right? Like you right. saw this trap coming and you rode right over the top of it. And right. I'm not even plugging DeSantis. I'm saying Republican politicians yes. need to be just like that. 
I don't accept the premise of your question. I will talk sort of around that issue. And um, what you just said was bullshit. And then go from there, because the other side doesn't engage Republicans on our issues, right? They refuse to even come close to accepting any of our premises. So why should you do the same for them? Right. Well, that's why the pedophile discussion is so powerful, because it rings true. And it's the logical endpoint of their ideology. And it's why it makes things weak for them. It's And it has made things weak for them. It's why they don't like the Moms for Liberty who are challenging what's happening in schools. Yeah. And and so like the leftists, so when the a recent example of what you're talking about of arguing in bad faith and marrying two completely disparate issues. So like, you know, basically lying through their teeth and making transgenderism a civil rights issue and and pulling uh, the black community into it like it's some part of Black Lives Matter. I was like, this is complete crap. A black person cannot change their skin color. They are who they are. We're talking completely different things. But if you get into that minutia, you've already lost. You've, right. Because the point on the left is power. And so the what they're doing is they're trying to intimidate average Joe, you and me, um, to not speak. They want us to be so because who wants to be racist and who wants to to uh, harm black people? Nobody. And so then when we have this transgender conversation where parents are abusing their own kids and schools are um, deceiving parents and all of that and then trying to marry it to this issue um, so that so that we stop so that we won't have the conversation about what we're really talking about. And so like with what happened in Ohio, Republicans as you, usual are morons. So like you have you know how you counter I'm going this is some free advice for you Dem- you Republicans out there, okay? I'm going to give it to you. This if you were my client, this is what I would tell you to do. And it will work. You create a a, a counter programming you buy ad time and you create an ad that's simple. You show a live baby born, a brand new baby, and then you uh, show a landfill. And you'd say, this is what we are trying to prevent with this. We are trying to make the world safe for living babies. And our opposition, wants to kill babies. And then you do that. Like you go all the way with it. You don't go yeah. halfway. You and you illustrate what they're really trying to do. And then and you don't take the if you're talking about transgender stuff, you you don't call talk about gender affirming care, all the euphemisms that you use. No. You say you, pediatric sex changes. You say pediatric sterility. Well, you could say that too. Because well, you could well we, we, instead well when they talk about puberty blockers, what you say is you say chemical castration. Chemical castration. That's All what you of, say. so you change the you use the words that actually are describing what's being done, and you don't accept it. And then you say, and then you're then you have the you know whoever's the politician in Ohio and come on and say, uh, ladies. And gentlemen, I have no desire to interfere with your birth control, but I do want to save babies. And I approve that message. The end. That's it. And then and then start framing the topic in the way that is actually the truth. 
and um, stop, you know, and if you have to, um, you know, have a young woman be doing these adver advertisements or whatever, but do yeah. not avoid well, the, the other issue. thing is this, you, you call out specifically the people who are pushing it on the other side. Right. Like specifically. Okay. All right. So who are the, who are the left-wing groups funding the effort to try to make abortion on demand a constitutional right in Ohio? Because right. here's the thing, none of them are savory, right? right? Right. And so you like, oh, is it Planned Parenthood? Okay, fine. We're going to talk about how Planned Parenthood sells body parts of aborted yes. kids. Yes. They want more abortions because they want to cut up those babies and sell their parts to science. That's what this is. They make a lot of money on that. It's a right? business. Right. right. And like, now they're is... making a lot of money on. Well, and that's the other thing. Well, by the way, they also want to trans your kids because they can make your they can make your kids freaking clients for life. And so they're right. all about pushing this because they want to make money off you. And they don't care how many lives they destroy. And right. oh, by the way, your tax dollars fund all of this. Right. So. This is you know, like this is trying to do this to you folks here in Ohio. Are you happy about it? Or would you like to vote no on this amendment that's going to make abortion on demand a constitutional right in the state? And you're right about DeSantis and how he communicates about these things, because he doesn't accept the premise and he does just go straight at the issues. And, and I'm not saying DeSantis himself, because, you know, look, they just fired the campaign manager and there's, you know, there's. There's some problems there. And I would argue that like DeSantis has no um, he has no lane to victory while Trump is still in the way because DeSantis right. is people. It's like I say this all the time. DeSantis is people or Trump people and they like Trump better than they like DeSantis. Right. So until Trump is gone, there's I mean, I think DeSantis is the nominee. If Trump is not the nominee, the problem is, you know, like. They, they like Trump better. And so what are you going to do? Well, it's not even just, it's, I don't even know if that's the case, but I think that Trump certainly has more charisma and I think that is part of it. But the other thing is, is that okay. they think People that Trump think is, Trump got screwed. He got screwed and that he deserves the chance and why some people, you know, the DeSantis campaign, going, I don't understand why some people are mad. Well, because they feel like you should be supporting the guy who supported you. And he was robbed and we all know it. And it looks kind of unseemly for you to want to come in and kind of take advantage of the pain he's enduring. The whole team on the right should be defending Trump because it's at this point defending the Constitution. Right. And that is the truth. And unlike of these others, he's not openly running for the vice presidential spot. Right, exactly. Right. And so that's why people are upset about it. And I get it. And And if you don't get it, you're just being uh, willfully, you know, dumb. The, but you know, the thing is, the fact that the left is uh, grabbing on these false premises and pushing forth their idiotic ideology, what drives me crazy is the average kind of Republican voter who just is seen through like a political lens, like just looking like we're, this is just another political fight. And not understanding that this, the time that this is, what we're dealing with really here, and why we should be fighting tooth and nail and not pretending that we're all just um, trying to do the right thing. No, RFK Jr. is an example of how uh, um, pernicious, evil, and, and uh, dedicated, 
and relentless this apparatus is. They are willing to destroy anyone who will get in the way of their weird utopian ideology, which will result in a bunch of uh, theater kids running the country and starving out the the, the uh, average American because that's what communists do when they get in charge. It's what happens in happened in China. You had all of these, you know, and mostly women because they're easily duped. Sorry, ladies, uh, that's a problem. Get married, balance your head out, and you're going to be a, a a better person. It's just the truth. And uh, and uh, parents. Stop raising, you know, I'm go girl, independent, and stop talking to mothers, stop talking down marriage and children and families and all the wonderful things that happen when, um, that can happen uh, if you um, have a traditional lifestyle. Your life is better. You will feel happier. You unhappy women, single women on um, antidepressants have been lied to. You know, Taylor Swift is not a role model. She's 30-something. She's selling out stage, you know, stadiums. Good for her. But that is not going to keep, you know, her cats are going to be empty comfort 25 years from now when she's not Miss It. Every song she does is about what an asshole the guy was that she just broke up with. Well, and, and it's it, like, it's like, yeah. um, if you listen to her music, you couldn't possibly date her if you're a guy. She just gave you the roadmap about how bad your life will be if you try to date this woman. Well, and then yeah. so you've got her and then you have like this Barbie movie. And, you know, I read the highbrow reviews. Thank you, NR and all the other places that wrote them. But the but the message that's coming out for these young girls who are going and seeing these movies is that the patriarchy is terrible and life is hard for a woman and they're constantly putting being put in this you know position and blah blah and so we have a generation being completely brainwashed because the thing is you're working you are one way or another you are um serving a man okay you can either make a sandwich in the kitchen yeah and and but the thing is None of the good things are talked about, about right. how wonderful it is to uh, feel safe and secure, how wonderful having children is, how your life gets better and more rich, and all the beautiful things, how as a woman you think more clearly and have more creativity and all the great things. And women are being deprived of that and aging right. themselves out of dating. And, well, and, and to reiterate the, 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 the flip side of that point, which is you know, you think, well, I'm a strong, independent woman and I'm going to go have a career or whatever. It's like, well, who's in that corner office? Because more often than not, it's a man. And guess what? That man doesn't love you. Right. right? He gives you things to do and he pays you. All right. Right. From from where he stands, that's where the relationship ends. You know why? When he goes home, there's a woman that he loves. Right. And that's who he cares about. Right. So, and you think that, you know, I'm a career woman. Like you're serving a man. But you're right. getting less out of that relationship other than a paycheck, which, okay, great. But I mean, you know, most most women top out below middle management, right? Mm-hmm. So that's 45, 50 grand a year in a secretarial job. And somehow that's better than having a family. It's like, well, okay. But at the end of the day, it's pretty cold comfort. 
Well, when the thing is, you top out you're... at that company and you get laid off because they don't want to pay you anymore and they can bring in somebody younger and cheaper. If you're in the corner office as a woman, if you're, let's just say that you are, okay. it does not, and you have all the remuneration and you have the adoration and you've innovated in, in your area of influence. And that's wonderful. You're still going to top out more times than not. Well, but so do men. So then, I get it. Right. But the thing is, is that what do you have when you leave that job? And what is it that will make you happy? And I know there's the rare women who are just better being single and not whatever. But that is the rare woman. Yeah, the that's, happiest that's women are the women who have a family and have all the things that right now, you know, if you follow the life of Julia, you go to co you go to college, sleep around, um, hound dog it, get STDs, scar your ovaries, um, go into the workforce, yes, queen, uh, late 30s, get married, realize your fertility is declining. They go in, they check out your uh, fallopian tubes are scarred with an undiagnosed STD you didn't know that 33% of infertility is because of scarred fallopian tubes because women had an undiagnosed S STD. And then, so they finally get one kid you know, because, and it's a big ordeal. It's cost thousands of dollars, tons of heartache. The It's not about a loving relationship between your husband and it becomes a business trying to get a baby at the, as the, like, like a tote bag at the, you know, um, buying, you know, like a, a really expensive purse. Um, and then this baby becomes the, the must have um, uh, accessory. accessory to your life. And then you're 40 and you can't have a second baby. And you're, you um, are, you know, um, and then you realize that you're not getting um, raises, just like this is a, a thing men face too, that they, you know, they reach their midlife and they go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to achieve the things I'd hoped I would, you know, in my 20s uh, and accepting where they're at and having to reconcile that as a man. Well, women go through that too. If they're in the work world, it's not like they're immune. And That's so right. then- and then they have given up all of the things. And so then what? Their their child grows up and they are 65 and their kid does follows the same pattern. And maybe they get to see one grad kid, maybe. And, and so the pleasure that they have in life is going to brunch with a bunch of immature adults and having, you know, a mimosa. That's the that's the payoff for this life. Seriously? Yeah. Posted it on social media. And posted on uh, it's just so empty and vacuous. And then the, and these women wonder why they're on antidepressants. I mean, it's it's an absolute bill of goods that people have been sold in men too. Yeah. You know, all you well, men the, out there who the are difference is though the difference what? is that men are not allowed to have a crisis about stuff like this. You're just not. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, like you, you can't have existential unhappiness if you're a guy. That's weakness and you're not allowed to have it. And um, nobody, like you can't complain about it publicly because you get shamed. Nobody cares. Not that I'm advocating that you should because your private problems, generally speaking, are private and you should not trumpet them as though there's some national crisis. The problem is, is that the culture actually demands that of women. Whereas it tells men you can't. So you have this whole thing, like women have it so bad. Men are like, this shit's been going on forever. I don't like, what's the problem? Like, you know, um, 
and going back to like when I was the kid was the first time anybody ever really talked about the whole thing, you know, the midlife crisis that affects men. Right. And there was this Bruce Stern movie um, mm -hmm. called Middle Age Crazy, which mm -hmm. was sort of the first cultural uh, intonation of this. And it's, you know, Bruce Stern, who's uh, um, it's amazing how different he looked when he was younger. But, uh, you know, he was like the son of this, you know, his, fa his father that built this big business and he's kind of running it. And, you know, he turns 40 and he looks around and he's like, well, you know, there's like this is as good as it's ever going to be. Mm -hmm. And so and he like lives in Houston, I guess. And uh, so he goes and he buys a Porsche 928. Mm -hmm. right, at a dealership in Dallas and he takes the whole weekend and he has an affair with a Dallas cowboy cheerleader <laughs> and like does the whole thing. And he drives around mm -hmm. real fast or whatever. And then ultimately he, after burning that steam off, you know, he, he comes home and he sells the Porsche or whatever. And when the movie came out, like, you know, like this is kind of sort of my dad's thing. Mm -hmm. and, and my dad ended up buying a, a Porsche 928, not because of the movie so much as he's like, saw that car and was like, oh my God, that is the most beautiful thing ever. I got to have that car. Mm -hmm. And he was right, except that the freaking Porsche was a lemon. <laughs> um, and he ended up selling it right before I got my driver's license, which just drove me nuts because I never got to drive that, that Porsche. But anyway, uh -huh. um, um, but like this was sort of a thing sort of early mid 80s was right, right. you know the, the midlife crisis that guys well, had you know someone got made fun the of was the point like they made yeah. fun of it because it was like yeah okay this is and then like ever since then when a guy buys a sports car it's like oh what are you compensating for right mm -hmm. um and so guys have gotten to the point like okay we're not allowed to have a crisis so whatever and now women start having this and it comes out and it's like well don't look for sympathy from the men like, you know, hey, we tried to talk about this and you wouldn't let us. So whatever. Right. And that's just yeah. kind of where we are in the in the country is because everybody has claimed victimhood. Right. And everybody has discounted other people's victimhood. So it's like, OK, you can have your moment bitching, but like none of us care. Well, the thing is, is that I think that the victimhood thing, I, I'd like to go back to the stiff upper lip kind of uh british thing where we just you know just shut up and, and and endure but i also think as far as the 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 cultural effect on men and what has happened is that feminism has destroyed the motivation for men Absolutely. to settle down to so like um you know anybody who's on a dating app who's in midlife will be like how do you get to 50 or how do you get to whatever and not have had um a serious relationship even never mind a marriage or a kid you know but it's happening more and more and there's and with all and i don't blame guys in some ways because women have gotten so insane like i had a, a single guy friend tell me a story that just happened this last week where the um he met this woman for dinner and she saw his profile that he was conservative and he basically was like um uh, she, she was asking him all these culturally sensitive issues and then stomped off before <laughs> from the middle of the date and after eating her meal, of course. And well, no, no, no. I've had that happen multiple times. Have you? Multiple times. In oh, fact, my goodness. I mean, it's like half the dates that I go on. 
is that oh. is oh wait now you do that oh you do that conservative website and now it's like well I, 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 let me tell you about that and i'm like whoa stop it's a first date i don't want to talk about politics with you in fact right. if a relationship with you and i want to talk about politics i want you to be a respite from that right right I spend too much time on it as it is so I definitely don't do it on a first date. And it's like, yeah, but I want to talk to you about blah, blah, blah. And it's something I feel really strongly about this. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. I mean, like, you just told me that I don't care, that I shouldn't care what you think, right? Like, I mean, you're, you know, and I, like, I have a, I have a new saying about this, which is, you know, like, I can explain all of this sort of men going their own way, all that kind of stuff. I can explain all of it, which is this. Nobody wants to pet a porcupine. <laughs> right. I mean, really. Right. Like, you're raising women to be porcupines, and yeah. nobody wants to be a porcupine. You're too much trouble. And it's, well, you can't handle a strong. It's like, no, I don't want to handle a strong, independent woman. Right. I don't want to handle a porcupine. There's nothing there but trouble. It's not fun. <laughs> Porcupine's not cuddly. It doesn't respond <laughs> to love very well. You get stuck in your hand and you start bleeding. Like, wait, no, I want to prove I'm tough enough to handle. Like, Nobody's dumb enough to do that. You right. make yourself right. unattractive. And right. that's like that you're going to be alone because nobody wants to mess with you. And if you're okay <laughs> with that, then right. that's fine. But there are a whole lot of people, like you mentioned, all these people on antidepressants. Yeah. Well, you know, right. if you're on antidepressants and you've made yourself the kind of person that can't get somebody to love you because you're a porcupine. Then stop being a porcupine. Try that out and let's see what happens. It might work. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's true though. I mean, the thing is who in their life, and man or woman, wants to get into, wants to even bother with that sort of an interaction. It's just exhausting and who cares? Right. But, but I think though, and we're talking about this at a very granular specific level because this psychosis on a relational relational interpersonal level is writ large through our culture it definitely scales up there's no yes it's scaling up and and so we're seeing on the left this very feminized making the planet safe making you know i mean talking about like bill gates talking about blocking the sun i'm like oh that's a great idea that's a great idea let's have a, let's have a nuclear winter yeah exactly i mean like just idiotic thing hot summer you know to save us right everything is to save us and to keep us safe so we right. do have this kind of language and it's very feminized language and it's very instead of you know how about you just go hit a punching bag be a guy and fix it you know like there's there's an element we don't have enough of that balance and the problem is is our enemies do so china is not having this kind of internal you know marital squabble writ large well i'm not sure that that's true okay no no no. they've they've got a lot of the same problems in china um there was a with gender stuff yeah 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 there's like a survey Mm -hmm. well i don't know if it's feminism per se but mm-hmm. there was a survey I saw. I think Gordon Chang was talking about this, like a, maybe a year ago. Okay. Um, what they did a study of like wi- unmarried women in Beijing, or just maybe women twenty five and under, like eighteen to twenty five mm-hmm. or whatever in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Half of them said they'll never get married. Wow. And they already so have a think- crisis, right? Because they have way more 
uh, men than women. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, they, you really can't have the women in China saying they don't want to get married because there's like not enough women, period. So right. if half of the women that are out there take themselves out of the gene pool because they say they're never going to get married. And in China, you can't have a kid unless you're married. Like they have, they, they've done away with the one child policy. I think it's a three child policy now, but you have to be married. So you can't just be, you know, Jacking a strong up and having a kid. woman that just goes and gets a kid. Like you can't do that in China. Now they may change it. They may have to. But I mean, so you're talking about like it's the China has the current population, but the potential reproductive population is like way smaller. So mm. and they've done demographic studies in China where they're they're gonna lose half of the Yeah, population. just is going off a cliff. So yeah. if you have anything like this, it's you're talking about a massive demographic time bomb that you know could go off pretty soon over there. Mm. So they have this, but the difference is the government controls freaking everything in China and the government has now come out hardcore against the woke stuff. Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, they put out a whole thing like they, you know, they're going to start doing uh, mandatory physical education for boys in schools because they can't, they were like, we can't have our boys be feminized and did this right. entire whole thing. Um, so like they're actually, you know, the government controls the culture. So the government is now stepping mm -hmm. in to, uh, to impose itself on that. You know, which won't happen here, but right. you know, the difference no, is like in the West, you're supposed to have these free societies. The problem is that, you know, we're not as free as we think because we're controlled from a cultural standpoint by a very small number of people at the top. And until that is smashed and broken, you know, you can't heal because right. they, I mean, you know, like look at the marketing uh, job that they did pushing the Barbie movie, which is, yeah utter poison in terms of its messaging to, um, you know, to anybody trying to have a, a, a traditional family based society, you know, and here's a billion dollar movie that just absolutely takes a, a you know, puts that in a wood chipper. Um, you know, so, so well, let's wrap this up. I think that, you know, I, what, when Bob said, Armit Terrell Jr you know, the author of where do we go, you know, how do we get out of here, which you should all go by because his, his stories and what he, the people he's known, the, the things he's seen, it, it's just crazy. When he says, when he, and by the way, he's like an eternal optimist, a happy war. If there, you know, Reagan talked about happy warriors. If there was ever an embodiment of a happy warrior, it's Bob fun. Terrell is that guy. And has right. always been that guy, a merry mischief maker, right from his times when he was at Indiana University. And so, like, for him to say that he thinks he, he puts it up the the times we're in now and the top three, I was like, wait a minute, what? Valley <laughs> Forge, Gettysburg, and right now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy crap, you know? Yeah. And, and so then that makes me think, okay, I'm not imagining this. This is. Right. This is no, you're not. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it shows up in every survey that, that we do. I mean, this is a real thing. This is not, you right. know, this is not doomsaying to to realize that we are at a a tipping Critical. point culturally, politically, economically. Yeah. We're, you know, our economy is an oligarchy. Our politics is, 
as stilted and anti-democratic as it's ever been, little d democratic. Um, and our culture is just is so sick that you can see it everywhere. Everybody understands and recognizes how bad things are. Yeah. So much so that the, the makers of pop culture are in a death spiral mm. and this Hollywood strike just illuminates the entire thing. Like none of this can stand. Right. And it's either gonna get markedly worse or we're gonna have you know the the, the revival that we so desperately mm. need. Right. Um, and but you know like every time we do one of these podcasts we come back to the same thing because it it's it is the thing it is what we have here in america and not just here but across really the free world you have this existential crisis that has got to be um dealt with successfully and it cuts across every facet of human life and the thing of it is is the problems that we have are not organic okay right. artificial they're, they're made yeah. there are there mm -hmm. are people who learn this crap in college and have been trying to apply it ever since okay and it doesn't work right. and it makes people miserable right. in ways that you know when, when we were far poorer when we were mm -hmm. trying to subsist when we were dirt farmers and like you know trying to scratch out a living with one pair of shoes it's our name right mm -hmm. we were not as miserable as we are now um, amid the abundance that we have and it, what it tells you is this entire stuff this critical theory that underlies all of the wokeness and everything else that that how we live our lives is somehow not good enough for these people and we have to be made to change it to suit them um it's poison and it's literally killing us. And yeah. it has to be spoken out about, it has to be defeated, it has to be rolled back. I think it ultimately will, but man, the cost just yeah. keeps well, rising. Yes, the cost keeps rising. You know, what does give me optimism, because I had none, and then when Trump was elected and he made certain changes and how quickly the country rebounded, Sorry. Take I, the boot I, off the neck and you it's, it's right exactly but i didn't realize how much of it was artificial so your point is and that is hopeful for everybody watching this this right. doesn't have to be this way and as soon as this stops it will get better it will it it, it will be like blooming all at once one yeah. and and the pressure to keep this kind of energy down like i feel like the powers that be are just trying to suppress people submit you will submit and everybody's going no we don't want to yeah. except right. for the single ladies and so you know we have some education to do yeah. and we and parents this is your fault i'm gonna as a mother what you women have taught your daughters and fathers you letting it go on and then not treating the wives right or doing whatever you're doing get your crap together and do better this because ultimately the cultural thing that we're seeing starts in the particular. Yeah. So starts in the individual and and starts with people not living according to their values and then being surprised um, when you have the results that we have. And so it's got to change. And I do think it's changing. And I do think that, you know, they're the younger generation is seeing you see it in the polling numbers. You see people are starting to um, the the most anti-woke kids are the Gen Z kids and they are fed up 
with their peers. Yeah, we didn't, we, we, did we talk about it last? We did talk about it briefly, but that's a, that's a sign of hope in my mind. I think and it's a big deal. Yeah. It's yes. And millennials and younger people are going back to church. Um, and so this, this whole, it can change. So uh, it, it is positive, but it was sobering hearing Bob say that. And so yeah. with that, you know, go buy his book. Um, I really encourage everybody and and we have another book coming. Scott McKay has written the definitive book on Barack Obama that is coming. And I hope you all buy it because all of these revelations that have come out recently, Scott knew and has written about and, is, and his book is gonna really help define the next couple of years. Yeah, and racism, revenge and ruin is the name of it. And um, pre-orders on Amazon will be available shortly. Okay, great. Maybe the next time people will be seeing it. So, so go so. to Barnes and Noble and we'll put it up at the website when all of that comes through. So thank you for listening, like, share, and do all the things that you're doing and throw sand in the gears. One of the things I'll, I'll end with this, I wrote in my email this last week to the subscribers. I was like, when Rudy Giuliani turned around New York, he didn't do it just by all the, you know, arresting the big guys. Every, he threw sand in the gears of all their operations because the criminals do little crappy things all the time, jumping over turnstiles and getting on the subway for free. All the little ways, all the graffiti, all the stuff that they do, you stop it. Well, you and I can do that too. We can be the sand in the gears of the teacher who's trying to wokeify her first grade class. And we can throw a fit. We can go to school board meetings. We can call our Congress people and say, grow a friggin' spine, do a different ad, be a man, be a woman, stand up for America. We can go and to corporations and do letter writing campaigns. And we can boycott, you know, uh, the, the, the buying power of the average normal American is immense. And that woke little tiny fringe has no real say economically, but we do. And so there's so many things that we can do every day and just not give up. And, and those things, those little ways, stopping the graffiti here, stopping the, um, uh, the token, you know, the guys who don't spend the tokens for the subway, all of the little ways that they break the law, the left um, counts on the fact that we won't stop those little insults. We've got to stop them. There has, the price has to be higher for them to be doing what they're doing. And it's been too low. And so they have gotten away with things because normal people have lives and don't wanna deal with crazy people. It's yeah. why, you know, um, you know, and that's why I say that the, the individual um, it can be expanded to the aggregate. A guy going on a date with crazy person who wants to get into it, about, you know, who wants that? And so us in the normal life, you know, who wants to deal with a crazy teacher with a spiky hair? Well, we have to because these people are making life untenable and freedom completely shrink and die. And so it's got to stop. Yeah. So anyways, stop it. You can stop it. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back next week and have more for you. Go buy those books and get on the list for them and watch for Scott's. Um, thank you so much for this, Scott. This was a passionate discussion that we've had, but I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll see you next week, all.